Welcome to a special episode of the Science and the City podcast, presented by the Sackler Institute for Nutrition Science at the New York Academy of Sciences. I'm your host, David Hoffman. For the past two years, the Sackler Institute has been working with a large coalition of partners, including the World Health Organization, to create a research agenda for nutrition science, a kind of roadmap that identifies the most important unanswered questions in nutrition, and then challenges the research community, the food industry, world governments, and the scientific community as a whole to devote the time and resources necessary to find answers to them. To talk about this agenda, why it's so important, and how it was created, we need to start by looking at the field of nutrition and what makes it different from other branches of science. For one thing, as much as it's a single field, nutrition is an incredibly diverse web of interrelated disciplines that come at the question of what and how and why humans eat from very different perspectives. Here's Dr. Mandana Arabi, executive director of the Sackler Institute for Nutrition Science. Nutrition as a field is a crossroads for many different fields. Um, you can you know, have people all the way from economics and social sciences to doing studies and research on nutrition issues, to the scientists looking at biochemistry of micronutrients and systems biology and things like that. And there is a continuum that needs to be covered by this field called nutrition science. There's also an urgency to nutrition questions that isn't present in many other branches of science. The billions of people who live on this planet need to be properly nourished right now. And how to best accomplish that is not an abstract question. Governments and philanthropies are looking to the scientific community to tell them how to feed the world today and tomorrow, not at some hypothetical point in the future. The ideal goal, of course, is provide optimal nutrition, optimal health, survival, as well as quality of life for every human being, you know, which is kind of a very ambitious <laughs> goal and vision. But that's ideally, you know, nutrition is a science that has a very clinical and very application-oriented aspect to it. It's almost part of medicine. Nutrition is the basis for response to diseases, for response to medications. Um, it's an underlying cause for a lot of conditions. Chronic disease now is really on the top of agenda globally, and nutrition is a big contributor. So the big picture is really to find how nutrition and nutrition interventions can best contribute to that ideal picture of human health and well-being. The way science works is that researchers start by identifying a question, a gap in the current body of knowledge of their field, and then design an experiment that they hope will answer that question. The idea behind this research agenda is to build a global consensus about which questions relating to nutrition are most important to the forward progress of the field as a whole, so that researchers have guidance and encouragement when they're deciding which questions to tackle. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, as we were doing this process of identifying the gaps, you see that the gaps are across the board. Some of it is related to our, our basic understanding of, okay, do we need, I don't know, magnesium or not? And how much magnesium do we need? I mean, just, just understanding the, comp the very basic components of diet. Then, taking it one step further, there are gaps related to saying, okay, well, so we know what this magnesium is, but um, is it associated with risk of illness and disease if you have low or high magnesium? And then again, this association with risk and illness needs evidence. We have good evidence for some nutrients or some diet-based um, factors. We don't have good evidence for some other ones. And then when you're talking about risk also, you have to link it to the public health significance of something. You know, for example, as I said, 
maybe a hundred years ago, people weren't necessarily so concerned about, oh, is it going to be affecting my cardiovascular health or not? But now the issue of cardiovascular disease and the fact that increasingly we show, we see, um, you know, strokes or heart conditions in early ages in people because of so many changes in habits and diets, now we're concerned about it. So we kind of prioritize this as an issue that we need to address through research. So in general, research has to be dynamic. You have to constantly visit it and see what are some issues that are of higher public health significance and um, also have higher potential for, for impact and then address them or prioritize them for, for research. And um, you know, in our discussions, early discussions um, that the Institute held with experts at the global level, it became clear that there is a need for kind of taking stock of where the, the field is and where it's gone since, you know, in the past 20, 30 years, we've had a lot of different progresses. And then see how we can bring all of our energies together, all the efforts together, and, um, our, you know, direct our efforts towards addressing the most pressing needs in, in science and in research. So we, we identify um, main collaborators. We started working with the World Health Organization, which is the main normative agency at the global level. And then after identifying the key um, partners, we then identified the key experts in various areas of nutrition science. What are the main themes or main gap areas um, that we need to address? And then within those areas, we invited scientists to work with us on working groups of you know, 8, 10, 15 people. And then um, we tried to be innovative, and what we thought was that, okay, we now are also in the area of, you know, we, can, we have technology, we can actually open these consultative processes to a much bigger global audience. So we put these early identified research topics or questions on the web, we had a survey um, designed so that we could collect information from experts on all continents who are doing work related to these research areas, gap areas, and can tell us also if they have ongoing work and if they know of somebody who is doing work right now that's not in the published literature yet. And that gave us a wealth of information. These working groups, which were assembled from leading representatives from all aspects of the nutrition community, academics, the food industry, philanthropy, and government, have been deliberating for months now and also assembling all of the contributions from these online platforms. And they're beginning to settle on a set of questions that are truly crucial to the advancement of our understanding of human nutrition. And as they've done so, a few overarching themes have appeared. For one, many of these questions look from different angles at the huge problem of delivery of nutrition. To understand what that means, let's take a hypothetical example. Let's pick a nutrient that does all kinds of good things for us. Let's say vitamin D. It builds strong bones, among other things, and is absolutely essential for the healthy growth of children. And let's say you've been studying a large group of people in the nation of someplace land, and you've observed epidemics of rickets among the children and osteoporosis among the elderly, both of which point strongly to vitamin D deficiency. It seems like there's a simple solution. Distribute vitamin D to the good people of someplace land and all will be well. Well, actually, it turns out to be the furthest thing from simple. How exactly are you going to accomplish that distribution? The main food source of vitamin D is fish. Salmon, tuna, catfish, and mackerel all have good amounts of it. So do you try to get people there to eat more fish? If so, how? Some kind of advertising campaign? Is advertising a successful way of getting people to change their diet? 
And if so, what media platforms and marketing strategies are most effective, globally or specifically to someplace land? But let's say you make those kinds of decisions and your informational campaign is successful. Are there local sources of fresh fish? Does the infrastructure exist to bring more fish to market to account for the increased demand? Would fresh fish be inexpensive enough for the people we're trying to target to afford, even if they were available? Are fish a traditional part of the someplace Landian diet to begin with? And if not, do people even know how to cook them? For that matter, do the someplace Landians you're trying to target even typically eat their meals at home? Or would it be more effective to target restaurants or fast food outlets or street vendors or soup kitchens? Let's say that aquaculture and food distribution infrastructure doesn't exist. Could it be built? If so, what's the best way? What sort of fish should we be concentrating on? And would it be better to farm them or catch them in the wild? What would be the environmental impact of encouraging these industries? Or the economic impact? Does someplace land have the labor pool to staff these kinds of businesses? What about refrigeration or ice to store the fish properly? Or, if all of this is too complicated, we could try to distribute vitamin D supplements. But in what form? Pills? How do you get people to take them? Different media campaign or through health workers? If so, do you reach out to existing clinics or do you establish your own? And who would man them? How do you pick people your target group would trust and listen to? And how do you manufacture all these pills to begin with and transport them and store them? If not pills, then maybe you could fortify other foods with vitamin D like we do in this country with milk. But then off we go again. Which food to fortify? Would industry produce it? Would the government allow it? Would the people buy it? And underneath all of this, like all nutrients, vitamin D doesn't work in a vacuum. There are many other nutrients that have to be present in the body in the right quantities in order for it to be effective. So how do you make sure that your population is getting those too? The whole thing's an endlessly deep rabbit hole of interdependent questions that touch not only on chemistry and biology, but also sociology, psychology, politics, agriculture, engineering, history, marketing. It's kind of hard to think of an academic discipline that isn't in there someplace. You know, a lot of us have been trained kind of coming from the individual-oriented medical or nutrition practice, thinking about nutrition outcomes for individuals, maybe in the hospitals. But increasingly, we are aware that a lot of changes at the population and society level are affecting how we practice and how we have an impact on the individuals. For example, the fact that people shop at supermarkets, that's compared to local markets, that makes a difference. The fact that people are eating more fast foods, you know, the fact that there is an economic crisis, there's a fuel crisis, there are environmental changes that might affect the kind of crops that people can grow. All of these factors, you know, I guess in the older, more um, limited definition of nutrition wouldn't be something that a nutritionist had to be dealing with. But increasingly we feel that we need to be part of those discussions. We need to link better with agriculture, we need to link better with um, initiatives that are trying to help um, the environmental aspects of human life. Nutrition has to be part of it. Do we need to adjust uh, nutrition recommendations for a future with uh, certain environmental conditions? So that's kind of a broad perspective on linking nutrition to broader macro level perspectives. And a lot of interesting um, subcategories or sub questions came out of that um, that are going to enable nutrition to be much better embedded in this kind of development um, discussions. When countries do their budget planning or their five year planning, nutrition can be actually part of their 
planning for improving their development or their economic development, rather than just seeing nutrition as this limited part of health. And um, that's an important achievement for nutrition. That observation we made a moment ago that nutrients don't work in a vacuum leads us to another overarching theme, the application to nutrition science of what's called systems biology, which is the specific study of those biochemical interactions between different nutrients as they work together in the body. In the older times, a lot of the discussion in nutrition was around deficiencies. Oh, you don't have enough iron, let's give you iron. And now we know way more than that. We know that iron is just part of a system within your body and it functions together with enzymes and other nutrients. It's also the fact that you know, iron metabolism across life cycle is different. It's different in a newborn as compared to a pregnant woman, as compared to an adult man. And each of them might need their different interaction, interventions and, and different accommodations. Which brings us to a third theme, looking more carefully at how people's nutritional needs change when they're at different stages of their life cycle, most especially at the beginning and the end, which is to say the specific nutritional needs of nursing mothers to make sure they're providing the best nourishment to their infants, small children as they're just learning to eat on their own, and also the elderly as life expectancy rises around the world. You don't want to increase just the life expectancy without addressing the quality. You know, you don't want to live disabled for 20 years beyond, you know, the kind of usual <laughs> life expectancy just because there have been ways for, for keeping you alive but not necessarily giving you quality of life. So this whole issue of quality life, quality of life in the elderly and then nutrition again being an important component of it um, is definitely something that's on top of the agenda both in terms of you know, mental ability as well as physical ability, frailty, um, physical activity, uh, muscle mass, all of these are part of the nutrition discussion. All of these issues feed into a fourth large theme, which is the realization that all of us as individuals have slightly different nutritional needs based on our environment, our genetics, our personal history, and our stage of life. So nutrition science is going to need to start moving away from global recommendations. Everyone in the world or everyone in the country should be eating X amount of nutrient Y, and towards personal recommendations that address the needs of a specific individual. In medicine now we have this whole concept of personalized medicine because we have progress so much that we can really actually tailor our medical approaches for that individual. And I think nutrition almost is getting to the same point, that you can actually have personalized nutrition. You look at the person's needs, a stage at life cycle, and different conditions or prerequisites, and then come up with this definition of optimal nutrition. And then, over this entire project, there are three guiding principles. First, that these are solvable problems, that the world can produce enough food and enough of the right kinds of food to nourish all of its citizens. Second, that it's the careful application of science that will get us to these solutions. And third, that it's only possible if all of the players in that staggeringly complex web of interrelated fields that make up nutrition all learn to listen to each other and to work together. There have been studies in terms of food production, for example, showing that the amount of food that's being produced globally is enough to feed everyone, at least if the population doesn't grow too fast. So the issue is not really the, food, the amount of food produced. A lot of issues are with the distribution and also with the types of the food, foods that people consume and their nutrient content, um, things that can be addressed with modifying through scientific approaches and supplementation or um, dietary recommendations. So 
Um, it's more about trying to find out what are some missing parts in this whole system that provides nutrition on the population. I think the picture that a lot of people traditionally have from undernutrition is, you know, the starving children during famine. But um, that picture is changing. It's not necessarily that. We still do have that, and unfortunately, we still have to address with these countries that have um, needs for you know, addressing severe criminal nutrition, almost with therapeutic approach. And that's different from actually trying to have optimal nutrition for a population. Increasingly, we are moving away from this whole um, you know, acute undernutrition because of famine, it's necessary. I think we are more dealing with populations who are chronically undernourished because they don't have access to certain types of food, or they are actually kind of overnourished because they have access to bad types of food, but not necessarily something that would give balance to their diet. So even the shape of nutrition problems is changing, and our scientific approach has to change it. We just define research questions and we do the research. We hardly think it's worth the investment in time and resources to kind of sit back and with a lot of other people in other disciplines and say, oh, well, are we looking at the right questions or do you have any questions for me that I need to think about? Uh, it's, it's a new thing and it takes some justification. Why is it that you need to put resources into this? But I think it's important. It's really important to shape the field that you're working in. Otherwise, you would close the door to a lot of innovative approaches. And um, we hopefully want to kind of get away from that. And, um, as I said, there have been so many progresses in the nutrition field as well as medicine, informatics, systems biology, you know, understanding the food systems and food production, and we feel that these can be linked better. In December of 2012, the Sackler Institute hosted a two-day event at the Academy that assembled some of the leading players from the global nutrition community to discuss and debate these issues and respond to the early findings of the working groups. Tune in next time to hear some of their ideas in exclusive interviews conducted behind the scenes for the Science in the City podcast. You can also learn much more about the agenda as it develops at www.nutritionresearchagenda.org. This podcast has been a production of Science in the City and the Sackler Institute for Nutrition Science, not-for-profit programs of the New York Academy of Sciences. We welcome your feedback on this podcast or any of our programming via email to scienceandthecity at nyas.org.